that's been on my heart this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. You love him. Though you now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith and the salvation of your souls. Um, I can't tell you how excited, I really can't, how excited I am to be here this morning. I love this place. I love you guys. If you're a visitor, um, welcome. Um, we love hanging out. And this is a family. It really is. That's what the church should be, right? And so um, I want to do something. This is something that has just become kind of a tradition around here, but I don't want it to be a tradition. I want to ask you to please stand if you would, and we're going to honor God's word. That's what we do when we do this. It's not just something that we do out of rote, but this is honoring God's word, his living, breathing word that is going to speak to us this morning. And so um, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 23, verse 42 and 43 this morning. It says, then he... And we'll talk about who he is in a little bit. He said, I beg of you, Jesus, show me grace and take me with you into your everlasting kingdom. And Jesus responded and he said, I promise you this very day you will enter into paradise with me. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. We love that you speak to us. We love that you're here in the room this morning. We love being in your presence. What a gift to be invited in to your presence. Let your glory fall in this place. In your name we pray, amen and amen. I agree with John, uh, uh, sorry, Jim. I agree with Jim. Let it never be the Sean show. Oh my goodness, we don't want that. We don't. Nobody wants that. <laughs> I don't want that. Let it, let it always be that he's the banner that we raise up. Amen? Yeah. Because that's, that's the verse I was quoting this morning. I, I just, you know, he draws men unto him, right? That's, if we lift him up, he draws men unto him. So that's what, that's, he's the headline. Jesus is the headline. So yeah. this storyline that we're about to go into has been just stirring inside of my gut for like two months. And, um, you know, everybody loves a comeback story, right? Everybody loves the underdog coming back from the down and out, but making it back into the race. And, and when we think about comebacks, it's interesting if you go online, you know, and, and, and you search you know, the greatest comebacks in history, what are you going to come up with? You're going to come up with, you know, the greatest comebacks in basketball, maybe in NFL. We've got a big game happening today, I guess, right? <laughs> um, the greatest comeback in a sport. Um, but come on, when we think about comeback stories, I'm pretty sure all of us can remember times in our lives when we come up against a difficult time in our place, and we wondered if we were going to make it back. Does anybody um, have that? You don't need to raise your hand, but yeah, some of you are like, yeah, that's me. I've, I, I've, been, I've been called up and out of a dark place before. And so if, if, you've, if you've never come to one of those places in life, can I just say, God bless you. That is amazing. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to step down and let you pastor the church because that's amazing. You should be proclaiming Jesus to the whole city. Uh, because let's, listen, most of us in the building today I would venture to say, if we were honest, 
had been at a place in our lives where we wondered, am I going to make it back? Am I going to make it back physically? Am I going to make it back mentally, emotionally, maybe financially? You know, is my marriage going to make it? Am I going to get myself back together? Right? Am am I going to make it through this season, through this moment? Am I going to make it? And maybe it's just me, but has anybody asked the question, am I, am I going to make it? <laughs> Woo, I can tell you, I've been in a season where I've been asking those questions. And yet somehow, by the grace of God, we're all sitting here today, aren't we? We're standing. And, and, and we're not maybe all that we're destined to be yet. We're not, and we're not all that God has determined for us to be, yet we are here today. And so long as we're here, guess what? God is here. God is here and, we, and he inhabits the praises of his people <laughs> and there's the opportunity and the possibility for a great comeback story in your life. Not just in a football game today, <laughs> but in your life. And so I'm just setting up this series today and I've, I've been feeling that we might be settling into this theme for a while, but I just want you to know that there is a chance for you. And we come to church and sometimes I think the enemy gets right into our heads straight away and he just wants us to get to play the comparison game about all the other people who are doing better or worse than us. And I just want to remind us today that the Christian story is a story of comeback. It is. Our story opens up, if we go like all the way to the beginning of our, of our holy book with Adam and Eve, and it's a, you know, in paradise, and yet they failed miserably and needed to have a comeback. But God appeared in his grace and in his mercy in the garden, and yes, there was consequences, and yes, the whole you know, world has had consequences, but the mercy of God came into the garden, and they had a story with God. And they are in the story of God because mercy met them in the midst of their failure. There was a great man named Noah. Many of us in the room, you know, will will know that story. He built an ark, he built a big boat, he saved the world, but Noah had a major drinking problem. He had to come back to God and God used him pretty powerful way, right? And he's in our story. There's a man named Abraham. Some call him the father of our faith. But Abraham had a a waiting problem, we'll say. And he gave up on the promise of God. And he actually tried to make God's plans happen in his own by having a relationship with his maidservant. Remember that part of the story? Not his wife. And seemingly messed up the plan. And yet God still had mercy on him and he still fulfilled the promise that he made to Abraham and at a hundred years of age Abraham did have a son and his wife was the father uh, or his son I'm sorry was the father of a great nation and Abraham is the one who's launched out descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky right and and we are a part of them Abraham bailed out on God's plan But there was a comeback for Abraham. He made it. There was a man named Moses. He had an anger problem. And he killed a man. And because of that, he had to leave Pharaoh's house that he grew up in. He vanished out into the wilderness in a desert environment as a shepherd of sheep out in the backside of the mountains of nowhere, right? And and a bush burned. And God spoke to Moses and said, I know you lost your temper. I know you killed a man. I know what it looks like life has passed you by. 
but I'm gonna use you to lead my people out of the bondage of Egypt and into the promised land. I choose you. And Moses, who had this speech impediment, did not speak with clarity, did not have high self-confidence, went and stood before Pharaoh and said, I'm telling you on behalf of God that, 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 you know, just stumbling through his words, go ahead, tell him, Aaron, you know, you're going to let my people go. Moses had a comeback story. Moses disobeyed God. And even after that, you know, he couldn't go into the promised land, but yet in the New Testament, there's this crazy story on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was glorified in the presence of his disciples. Remember that? Up on the mountaintop. And with him, there were two people standing in that moment. Anybody remember who was there? One of them was Moses. One of them was Moses because even by the grace of God, there's a comeback for the people who have already had a comeback. And though, you know, he didn't lead Israel across the Jordan River, Joshua did that. Moses still appeared with Jesus at the end of the story. And our story, hello, (laughs) our story is a story of people who have, you know, stumbled, we've fallen, we've gotten in a place that maybe is a mess, yet somehow in this ocean of the grace and the mercy of God, there is a comeback for everyone who puts their faith and hope in Jesus. If you're taking notes this morning, flip over on the back side of the, of the bulletin. There is a comeback for everyone who puts their faith and their hope in Jesus. And this is the best part. Everybody needs to come back. Everybody needs to come back. And everybody gets to come back. And our gospel is the gospel of the comeback. And our Jesus is the God of the comeback. And everybody has a chance as long as Jesus is in the room. Our text today is in the gospel of Luke. And I love this story. This is the last day of Jesus' life. That night is when Jesus willingly gave himself up for the sins of the world. And now, you know, mourning is coming. Um, he's been rushed through injustice and he's been given the 40 lashes minus one. And, and now he's been laid out to cru- uh, crucifixion on a Roman cross. And as God, uh, you know, wouldn't have it in Luke's account, there are other, two other people that are involved in the crucifixion account of Jesus. And we see this beginning in verse 32. It says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, that's the the translation of Golgotha, if you've heard that word, they were crucified. Uh, There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. So we understand that God put Jesus near criminals in his last hours on planet earth. And so, you know, that's his story. There's, there's, there's the two criminals, by the way, they're mentioned by the author of this book, Luke. Luke is a doctor, and he's, lo- he's one that looks at the specifics. He, he's looking to chronicle the day's events, right? And, and he doesn't miss this interaction. He wants us to know, on behalf of God, who's inspiring him to write this text, when they crucified Jesus, I don't want you to just think about Jesus, although that's the story, that's the headline. It's all about Jesus. All the focus is on Jesus and our attention is on Jesus. But Luke says, no, I want you to, I want you to also just kind of, for, for, I want to draw your attention to these two guys. And on the right side of Jesus was a common criminal, and on the left side of Jesus was a common criminal. Three men crucified that day, not one. Now, why is that important? If Jesus is dying for the sins of the world, if Jesus is God's sacrifice for 
all of the wrongs in our lives, why don't we just make the story about Jesus, right? Well, possibly because God wants us to know that in his thinking all the time is the person who's in the worst shape of all. Yeah, that we don't forget that there's always a connection and a correlation between the work of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and a common, just ordinary person who might be at the end of the rope. That we never miss, that this isn't, just isn't an isolated, uh, solitary event, but this is a connected event. That what Jesus is doing is not just for the story, but for the people. And Luke wants us to know, I want you to see Jesus for sure, but I want you to know about this guy on the right, and I want you to know about that guy on the left. We, we're not exactly sure what happened to these criminals. We call them thieves. But we, don't, we know that in the, the days of Jesus' crucifixion under Roman, Roman rule, that uh, there was a very low tolerance for crime in Jerusalem. And so the situation politically was very unstable. And so to keep an, a clasp, an iron clasp, on um, society, the Romans had a low tolerance for any kind of crime, especially stealing. So you could lose your life. You could you lose your life for it. And when you lost your life, they would make an example of you. So they're going to crucify you outside the city on a common roadway where people would see you passing by and they would say, I, I don't know what they did, but I sure don't ever want to do whatever they did. And so these two guys who were convicted getting just punishment under the system of the day are on the right and on the left of Jesus. And then verse 34, here's what Jesus is thinking about in this moment. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. So th it, this is in reference to the guards. This is to the men who just nailed him to the cross. This is to the men who are on the right below his feet. It says in the next verse, dividing up his clothing, tearing up his robe, and casting lots to see he's going to take it home. There's all this mayhem going on, and Jesus has compassion in the midst of it, and he looks at his crucifiers, and he says, God, they don't know the whole story. They don't know the whole story. They don't really understand all the, all the stuff that's happening, all the implications of this moment. I just have a heart of forgiveness towards them, even in this moment. In verse 35, it says, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he's Christ, if he's the son of God, as he says, if he's the chosen one, let him do that. Let him save himself. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews and save yourself. So, and Jesus already had a history of saving other people. I want you to note this. I, I put it in your notes. He already had a history of walking into, being the key word, into situations where people were dying, where people were sick, where people were outcasts, where people were lame, where people had been you know, shoved to the side and sort of excommunicated from faith. And he'd already walked into many of these situations where people didn't have food to eat and, and you know, where there was a storm on the sea and he would walk into these moments and he would call down power from above and he would change the circumstance. And so now they're giving it back to him and they're saying, oh, I thought you were the one that walked on water. I thought, you know, you were the one that fed the 5,000. Aren't you the one that's, you know, spit in the mud, put in the guy's eyes, and then he saw again? Isn't that who you are? Then come on, this would be the time. Show yourself, reveal yourself. That's what they're saying. And they don't know that Jesus is giving his very life for the sins of the world, but he can't be 
I don't know how to say it. He can't be bothered by their rebuke because his focus is so determined. His love is so fierce to the, to the innocent lamb of God slain for all of us. And nothing is going to stand in his way, not even the taunting of men. And Jesus himself knows that he has the power in this moment to obliterate the scene, right? He could just, he could just, he has the power to call down the angels of God to just kind of blow up the moment, right? But he just keeps yielding to the purpose to which he came. And it says in verse 38, there was also an inscription over him said, this is the king of Jews. But then here come the two criminals in the story. Verse 39 one of the criminals who was hanged railed at Jesus, or in other words, they, there was, he's blaspheming against him, it says in another translation. Now, think about this. This is a guy who's been wounded in life, right? Think about this moment. This is a person that a psychologist looking at the story is gonna tell you, this guy has some issues. Because of his pain, his hurt, his self-view, his self-worth, they're so distorted. Not only did it lead him into a life of crime, not only did it lead him to a life of hurt and pain, but now in his very last breath of life, many of you already know that's, that's, that's the way the crucifixion went down is that they nailed you to cross and they hung you there. And through that pain, you know, as it's racing through your body, you no longer had the strength to push up off of your feet and to catch a breath. And so as you would lose your strength, eventually you would lose breath. And eventually you would suffocate and die. So it was a slow kind of painful death of asphyxiation. And sometimes, you know, this would last days depending on the shape you were in. When you got there, you could literally hang on the cross for several days. And then at the end of this, if you, if you, if you didn't die soon enough, the Roman soldiers would come around with a metal rod and they would just break your shins and then you would push up and then you would die. And in that moment, I just want you to picture the moment. They're on a cross. In that moment where this person is literally putting that energy in for his life and fighting for breath and fighting to prolong this as long as possible with his breath, this person is thinking, what I want to do with my last breath is I want to insult the guy who's hanging here next to me. Think about that. That's a lot of hatred, that's a lot of hurt. And some of us in the room, we understand that kind of hurt. Some of us understand that today being in such a place where you know, so many wounds have been inflicted on us and all we know to do is just inflict it back on other people. That's a, it's, a, it's a response, it's a mechanism. There's been so much insult poured into our life. All we know how to do is pour insult back into other people's lives. It's a defense mechanism. It's retaliation, a way of self-preservation, right? And so that's what this criminal was doing. He's insulting Jesus and he's saying the same thing that the other people were saying. He's kind of joining in with the chorus. And one of the phrases that Luke records is he says, he asks this question, are you not the Christ? Are you not Jesus? Then save yourself and save us. And we put that in there too. Save yourself and save us. Now, that wasn't a cry for salvation because we know that Luke has specifically recorded that he's been taunting Jesus along with the others. You know, he says, he's basically saying, yeah, I'm with them. You know, I, I get what they're saying. If you're so great, do something. Look at this place that we're at. Do so. If you're the king, do something. If you have power, use it now, right? Uh, man, come on, what's holding you back? Save yourself and while you're at it, save us. Can you imagine the scene? I mean, 
I know you've heard this story. Maybe you've read the scripture. Maybe you've seen it in a movie, but come on, can you imagine that scene? It blows my mind that there are three men bleeding to death, suffocating to death. And at this moment, one of them is insulting Jesus. And another has a sense to understand who he is. I would love to, you know, just know all the words that were spoken. I don't know how this came out, but I'm thinking in my mind, if I was in that situation, you know, would you shut your mouth? <laughs> right? That's what I'm thinking. You, you are an idiot. What are you thinking? But the other criminal across from Jesus speaks up and he says back to the, the rude one that's speaking out, says, he says, you, you hear the, see this question? Don't you fear God? Do you know what he's saying? He's, it's like, you mean right down here at the very end of our lives, you don't even fear God. I mean, it was easy to fear God when we were stealing, you know, and running in the streets. It was easy not to fear God when we're running the, you know, the tables and we, we, the way that we wanted to, we were fixing the system, whatever they were doing. It was easy not to fear God when we, you know, when we hadn't gotten caught. It was easy not to fear God when we still thought we were in charge. But look, man, we're down at the bottom right now. And we're going to bleed to death and suffocate right here on these crosses. And so for you and me, this is the end of the day. And you're telling me at the end of the day, you don't even fear God? That right now with your last breath, you don't fear God? And then here it comes. He said, since you're under the same sentence. In other words, then he says, look in verse 41. We indeed justly are under this same sentence. We've been justly you know, sentence for this, justice, just punishment, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing. He got it. He'd seen it. He understood maybe the gravity of the moment. And, and either because maybe he had heard Jesus teach, um, maybe he'd seen Jesus do a miracle. He had a friend, you know, had been touched by Jesus and he'd heard the story. Somehow all the dots are connecting. And, and he knew that this man was an innocent man. You and I are getting what we deserve, but this man, he'd done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. A nine word, powerful prayer. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It could have been the only prayer he ever prayed in his life. We don't know. It may have been the, the only you know, statement he ever made towards God in his entire life. But at the end of the day, with the fear of God in his heart and with a clear view of who Jesus was, he's right there in his presence. He prays this nine-word prayer. And it's not, the, it's not a grand theological statement. It's a simple, I don't have a lot of breath left prayer. But while I have some breath, Jesus, will you remember me? When you come to your kingdom, Jesus, please remember me. Please remember me. Isn't that what all of us are really hoping for today? That somehow in this crazy world that we live in, that God hasn't forgotten us. Even though our marriage didn't make it or it hit rock bottom, don't we really wanna know that yes, there's a chance Yes, you know, 
maybe is this mediation going to work that's going on between us? You know, yes, is this going to happen? But we, don't we really want to know, God, do you remember me when it feels like I'm at the bottom? Have you forgotten me? And that's the heart of it. That's getting down below all the right words, right? All the, all the church prayers and all the right language that we try to put to things. It's getting down to the real issues of our heart. God, do you remember me? Or God, please don't forget me. That was his prayer. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And somehow he knew this guy is coming back. <laughs> this guy's coming back. And when he comes back, I want him to remember me. Maybe he was there when Jesus made the statement, I'm going to die, yes, but I'm going I'm to have a comeback. <laughs> I'm going to raise up again from the dead in three days. At the Passover meal, Jesus said, this is the bread and this is the wine. This is my body that is broken for you. This is the cup of a new covenant. And then listen to what he said in Matthew 26, 32. As Jesus is talking about, you know, the, he's the, the, the one that's going to betray him. Uh, Peter makes his grand statement. Um, I'm not going to betray you. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. All of this. And then he says, but here's the thing. Listen to Jesus' statement. He said, but after I am raised up, he's telling him, after my comeback, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He just throws little phrases in like that all the time. Yes, this is my body broken for you. Yes, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for, you know, the forgiveness of sins. And this is all kind of big ideas here. Yes, one of you is going to betray me. In fact, all of you are going to let me down. That's, that's what this is about. You're going you're gonna to fall, but I'm going to raise you up. That's what the whole story is about. And in the middle of all of this at the Last Supper, he just says, one more time, let me remind you that I have risen. I will go ahead of you to Galilee. It's going to happen. I'm coming back, people. People, I, I, I'm the God of the comeback. I am Jesus, and my story is a comeback story. I'm going to be crucified, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be dead and buried, yes. I'm going to descend into the depths of the earth, yes. I will carry the guilt and the shame of the world, yes. But God is going to call my name. God is going to raise me up, and I'm going to beat death, and I'm going to beat hell, and I'm going to beat the grave, and I'm going to beat the darkness, I'm going to beat sin and all of its penalties and I'm coming back and I'm going to be seated at the right hand of God and I'm going to rebuild this temple and I'm going to rule and I'm going to reign. That's what I'm going to do. And somehow this thief had gotten a little bit of that in his head. And he said, I heard you're coming back. I heard you're going to rule and reign. I heard you're coming in with power. Well, when you come in power, will you remember me? What a prayer with your very last breath. And Jesus said with one of his last breaths, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. I'm just trying to see the face of this guy in my mind. Can you say that one more time, Jesus? <laughs> I said, I tell, I tell you the truth. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise today. You know, um, 
historians and archaeologists tell us that the place where Jesus was crucified was a landfill, a garbage dump. And that made it convenient because after they had broken the legs of criminals, after they, you know, died on the cross and they finally died, most of their families were not around. Nobody was there to claim their bodies. Nobody um, wants anything to do with these people. They would just peel them off the beams and throw their bodies right into the garbage heap. That was, that was what they did. And the dogs and the animals, they would come in and just eat what meat was left off of the bones. There was really no burial and there was really no evidence. Only because Jesus was the son of God did the prophecy have to be fulfilled and that a man was, who was there who had authority with the courts to say, I want Jesus' body and I want it before sundown and I want to give him a proper burial. That's part of the story, right? But normally a body would just be peeled off of the beam and thrown into the garbage heap. And after a few nights of dogs and the wild animals, they wouldn't have any evidence of who was there. That was the end of the day for these two criminals, but yet Jesus changes history. He changes histories. And, and he changed the destiny of one of them. And he said, today, this very day, you're gonna be with me in paradise. And we, we may be giving our lives on a garbage dump, but I'm telling you, paradise has come in a garbage dump today. And in the midst of a landfill, the paradise of God has been born in the heart of simple faith. And I'm telling you, don't ever count God out. And, and to, to piggy tail with that, don't ever count anybody else out because God is the God of the comeback. And he only needs a breath to change the direction of our eternity and of our life. Maybe God put this criminal in our story so that we couldn't get all high and mighty and think, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm better than you. No one gets to heaven because they've been better than anybody else. We all get to heaven because of the simple gift of faith that he's given to us. And when we say, Jesus, when you come in your power, will you remember me? I've got nothing to offer and I'm breathing my dying breath, but I believe that you are the son of God and I believe that you have the power that will last forever. Will you remember me? We can put more words around it. You can have a greater understanding. You may have grown up around scripture and you know, you know that you know, the, the whole story of sin, you know that uh, we fall short, you know that Jesus comes to take away all of that. You know that his sacrifice removes our stains. You know that when we put our faith in him, we're born to a brand new life by his spirit and you know that his spirit comes into our hearts and brings our spirit to life. And that spirit says, what, Abba, Father. And we know that we are now reborn as sons and daughters. You know now that you have the power of God to walk in faith and to live out the hope of God for your life. And you may have more information because of your background or your teaching or your upbringing to know how to pray a more sophisticated prayer. And that's okay. But if all you know is Jesus you're an innocent man. Jesus, you're being crucified for something that you did not do. And I believe you've got power and you're coming back in that power. And I pray that you'll remember me, Jesus. Jesus, because I've, I've got nothing but hope in you. That's all I got. That you will hear my prayer. God, will you hear that prayer? And God 
responds to that by bringing paradise to a garbage dump. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you know what I love about that? I always thought about the guy being with Jesus in paradise, but what I'm coming to love about the the phrase more as I've been sitting in it for a couple of weeks is that Jesus was saying, I'm gonna be with you in paradise. I'm gonna be in paradise. And if I'm not going to paradise, I don't have anything to offer you. If I'm not gonna be in paradise, I can't offer you to be in paradise. He says, you're not just going to paradise, but you're gonna be with me. There was a little girl who was sick and Jesus was in Capernaum and they said, can you come to the house? My daughter's sick and, and Jesus ends up delayed on the way and, and some of you know the story, he healed a woman who had a medical condition for many, many, many years and nobody can help her and Jesus had t- been touched by her not knowing that you know, she would reach out for his garment and talk about a comeback. She barely hit the end of his robe and she was healed. And Jesus said, whoa, power has gone out from me. And he says, daughter, stand up. Your faith has made you whole. I mean, she was just reaching into the crowd, being pressed out, by the way, by his own followers. And she said, I'm touching this man because this man has power. And my prayer is, I just got to get a hold of him. And so he kept going on because of this little detour, you know, to heal this woman. By the time he arrived at the man's house, the mourners were already playing, you know, out in the courtyard and this little girl had died. And they said, you don't need to stop here. It's too late. And Jesus said, no, it's not too late. I'm reading between the lines, but you know, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus. So that's a, I'm, a, I'm a comeback God. And so he went up into the room where the little girl lay and closed the blinds. And he said to the little girl, wake up. And the little girl sat up and the father was like, ah. And the, the mourners were like, oh, I guess we're not getting paid today. They start packing up their stuff, packing up the flutes, packing up all their mourners. This is not going to happen. You know, we, we had a little gig here today, but now they're carrying all their stuff off. And it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Jesus walked into the room. The next person dies. Jesus comes into the village of Nain. A lady's carrying her son out, a poor widow who's lost her only son. He's going to have a simple burial, probably in a hole in the ground where he's going in vertically and moments away on a stretcher being carried out. And Jesus happens to be showing up at Nain that day and touches the stretcher. And Jesus walks through all the people, doesn't know any of them. He walks right in, puts his hand on the stretcher, stops the procession and says to the woman, don't cry. And then he says to the son, get up. And the son, the scripture says, wakes up and he starts talking. You know, don't you want to know what he was saying? I mean, (laughs) maybe he just started off where he left off. Anyway, what I was saying was, you know, <laughs> what did he say? He just starts talking. He's like, wait a minute, why, what's going on here? Why am I up here? Who are you? What's the deal? And why is my mom crying? And Jesus takes him and he gives him back to his mom and his uh, funeral procession is stopped because Jesus is an interrupter of funerals. <laughs> and he's the God of the comeback. Lazarus, I have a son named Lazarus that is seven years old. But the Lazarus in scripture, many of you know the story, has been dead for days and is already stinky and dying. And Jesus says to him, I can still do something here. It's not too late. It's not too late. The people might be saying, oh, Jesus, if only you had come sooner, master, if only you had gotten here earlier. Look, we always think I need to be in the right place at the right time. No, sometimes we're so beat up and worn out. Somebody of you can testify to this, that, you know, we can barely get our feet off of the bed. It's only important that Jesus is in the right place at the right time. And that's what's important. It's not important that you're in the right place at the right time. The thief would say, thank goodness, you know, the the, the thief could say, thank goodness we got crucified on the day that Jesus was crucified. No, no, not so much. Thank God that Jesus was in the garbage dump on a cross. 
Because if he wasn't in the garbage dump on a cross, you die today and you're just going to be torn apart by the dogs. And that's the end of the story. But Jesus was in the right place at the right time. And when he got to Lazarus in Bethany, it was still the right place and the right time because Jesus was there and he said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out of the tomb, bound up in burial clothes. That's the, the power of our story, church, is not coming and sitting in beautiful buildings with all of our best feet forward. The power of our story is that God is not to be counted out ever. No matter where we are in our stories, it's never too late for God to do a miracle. It's never too late. It's never too late. Somebody hear that this morning. It's never too late in this house today for God to do a miracle. It's not too late for God to restore your family. It's not too late for him to restore your health, your thinking, your mental stability. It's not too late for him to restore your heart and put your life back together, to restore the wounds that have been inflicted on you. It's not too late for God to call you out of a tomb, to call you off of a burial stretcher, to call you out of a hole in the ground. It's not too late for him to speak to you hanging on a cross in the midst of your guilt and your shame and the punishment that you deserve. It's not too late. If you think that you're in a garbage dump and you don't matter a thing, you think that you're not worth anything to this world, I'm here to tell you this morning that it's not too late for you because paradise can come in a landfill. Paradise can come in a landfill. This is what Jesus does because our God is the God of resurrection. Remember that? Remember that part of the story? Our God is a God of resurrection. And on the third day, Jesus was raised from the dead. So yes, we celebrate the cross and the power in it, but we celebrate today the comeback and its power for your life and mine. Today, we talk about this nameless thief on a cross, you know, who found paradise in his last breath. And here's the thing, I'm in the middle of what feels like a comeback journey right now. You know, I'm walking, I'm walking through the clearing of what has been the hardest two years of my life. And I'm just beginning to see the clearing on the other side. Um, and you'll probably, I suppose, hear more about that story. There's that, but I know, I know, I know that I'm not the only one. We've got so many stories in this room, I know it, of God's restorative work sitting right here in this room. And I can't wait for you to hear some of those stories as we go through the rest of this series. Just for reference, if you're brave enough to do this this morning, how many of you have been lifted up from a garbage dump scenario in this place? <laughs> in other words, God picked you up when it looked like you were down and out for the count, right? So in the midst of that journey, Jesus picks us up, doesn't he? And then he sends us out to others who are stuck in the muck and the mire. That's what Jesus kind of church does, right? Because Jesus always runs into the darkness, he does. And he stops the funeral procession 
He raises life from the dead and he changes the trajectory from a garbage dump to a place of paradise. There are two messages today and I'll just end with this. If you're trying to keep everything tidy and neat and you're trying to do the work to clean up your life, you're by yourself, there's no rescue in that. Stop trying so hard. That's not how this works because Jesus is what's happening. What we need to allow is Jesus to run towards the darkness and into the brokenness where you can be rescued. Jesus is not afraid to go anywhere. It's like, no, 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 no. He'd never show up where I'm at. Oh, not when I'm drunk or high or out on the streets or embezzling money from the company, when I'm out here running around doing crazy things, when I left my kids, when I haven't loved and cared for my wife or my husband, when I'm living life like a fool, when I've been guilty of spewing out hate, God wouldn't be here. I gotta gotta figure out where to get where he is. No, Jesus is on a mission to get where you are. (laughs) And he's not afraid of the darkness or the mess, and he was born in a major. He's not, a, he's not afraid to, to walk through any door at any moment, at any time. And if anyone sees him and says, Jesus, will you remember me? I need you. I need a savior. I need healing. I need deliverance. I need a rescue. I need to come back. And he's saying to you today, today, today. Let me be in your comeback story. Paradise from a garbage dump. Paradise from anywhere you are, from wherever you are standing Jesus is here. Bob, would you come up? <sighs> I, love, I love what's happening right now, the story of Ashbury College. You know, there's nothing else being platformed in that place from what I can see. And there's, there's videos all over the internet. Um, people are sharing. It's, it's an exciting thing. I mean, I can't watch it without joy welling up. <laughs> Because I believe this is a Reformation generation and that there's a a generation that's about to be lit. And this is maybe just the beginning. I love the story that's unfolding, but there's no person that is being highlighted on that stage. There's no songs that are being highlighted on that stage. The video that I was watching this morning is just one chorus being sung over and over and over and over. But who is being platformed in that place is Jesus. It's his presence. It's him. And so my prayer this morning in the, in the message, and as we come into this um, theme, which I believe is gonna kind of be a recurring theme this year at Destiny, is that Jesus is, he's, he's the God of the comeback. And so if you need that in your life, hey, let's, let's just press into his presence. It's nothing else, that nothing else really matters, honestly. <laughs> the gospel is pretty simple. Jesus said it himself, love me, and I'm going to give you a heart to love others. There's a college chapel that is being filled since Thursday night. Morning, day, praise and worship hasn't stopped. And it started with college students, but now it's intergenerational. Everybody's there. Everybody's coming. It's an all-in party. Everybody is invited. And it, you know, it's not that we are seeking revival. It's really not. You know what? seeking is him and so you know my prayer is that Lord you know send revival here right now in this place God revive us fill our hearts to overflowing God I don't want to stop worshiping you not when I go out this building not ever because you're worthy 
be the comeback story in my life. Yeah. So I, I went through a divorce. I lost my wife of 25 years and my best friend of 29 years. And it feels like, man, whew, that's hard. But God is the God of the comeback. He's a restorer. He even says, I don't know if you guys remember it. Um, James 1, I was preaching it the last weekend I was here. Count it all joy. Thank you, God, for giving me that verse right for all of this. <laughs> Count it all joy. Yes, God, thank you. But the reason James, the brother of Jesus, can say that, remember the verse where I pulled out the original language right after that? It says, God is a God that builds us back better. It's, this, it's the image of the marathon runner who has to rip some muscles in the process of learning endurance for the long run. And so God, even in the midst of a hard time, I count it all joy because you're a good God. So let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for your story in our lives this morning. And God, I pray this morning for your presence to just go with us wherever we go. May your presence fill us. It's all about you. You're always the headline. We've, we've said it for a long time. It's, it's you. It's all about you. God, let we live it. Let we live like it. And God, if I know there's people in this room that feel like they're in a, on a journey of a comeback story right now, God, would you just be the God that we saw in this story so many times over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. You run into the darkness and the brokenness and you're a rescuer. You love us so, so, so much. God, I pray that our testimony as we go forward this year is that there'll be so many stories of the comeback king. That's you, Jesus. So we press into your presence, that's it. That's, that's the message today. We press in. We love you, Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.